Welcome back to the coal mine. I am your host, Ari Hoffman, your early warning system for all things insane and crazy in Seattle's socialist utopia that are headed your way that I'm trying to warn you about. And I've been talking for a long, long time about trying to warn you about everything that is happening here and how it can affect your city. The number of phone calls I have gotten, the number of emails, texts, Facebook messages, tweets from friends around the world, around the world, about this insanity happening in downtown Seattle is insane. My uncle lives in a very observant area of Israel, and he's pretty much cut off from the rest of the world aside from his little nook. He hasn't been back to America in at least 30 years, something like that. He gets one Yiddish newspaper, and he called me to ask me what was going on in Seattle. That's how crazy this thing is. But just when you think it can't get any crazier, you have to look at what's going on. They are trying to change the narrative of what is actually happening at this encampment, at this occupied territory, at this militantly held neighborhood. They are trying to say there is no violence, and yet we see videos every single night, new videos of violence in the area. They're trying to say there's nobody who's armed down there, and yet every day there's pictures and videos of new Video, new videos and pictures of people who are armed down there. Why are they trying to paint it that way? Because they want them to succeed. They want them to say, oh, look, they took control of this neighborhood, got rid of SPD, got rid of the police department, and look how much more peaceful things are. It's like a street fair. It's like a block party. It's the summer of love. It's not true. It really depends on what time you go there. If you go there during the day, you may get some nasty looks. If you're a reporter or somebody who's recognizable like myself, you will get harassed by these people until you leave. But they're not going to bother the average person. You may see some fun stuff down there. There's a growing homeless encampment down there. It is getting bigger and bigger by the day, more and more tents, more and more people walking around drugged out of their heads. There's even a guy running around with a machete the other day. And this is all distracting from the fact that they had this massive protest on Friday, which was beautiful. Lots of people marching. However, there's a problem. They didn't work with the police department. They had their own cyclist patrol. And as they were marching, these cyclists were closing whatever streets they felt like closing. So I couldn't get out of there. Other people couldn't get out of there. Were you turning into each other, almost hitting cyclists that are zipping past? It was dangerous. Somebody could have gotten killed. Why didn't you coordinate with the police department? Department of Transportation, anybody to have this massive, massive march? Your point was made a while ago. And now all this insanity has distracted from the point and has become about pushing a socialist agenda. As I read in last week's episode, their entire list of demands has nothing to do with George Floyd. It has to do with agenda items they wanted to push this entire time. But today, a new level of insanity. This whole time, the mayor has been negotiating with these people and giving them whatever they want. I mean, look what happened with the police station. The police station, it was the mayor's decision, we found out last week, to hand over the police station to the protesters and to leave the area, and to evacuate the precinct. So totally gave in to the demands, and take nothing for the cops that were standing on the line night after night after night, having things thrown at them, getting hurt, getting injured, ending up in the hospital. They were asked to stay there for nights, and then you just give it up. And then these people move in and occupy the entire territory. But today, things got dialed up to 11. The Seattle Department of Transportation today began installing concrete barriers to reinforce the boundaries of the Capitol Hill-occupied protest. Oh, I forgot. That's its new name, CHOP, formerly the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, CHAZ. So you can't call it CHAZ anymore. Now you got to call it CHOP. And I love that the residents are comparing it to the French Revolution, and they want to chop people's heads off. Yeah, they actually said that last night, I was sorry, two nights ago, we're down at the West Seattle, at the West Precinct, 
of the Seattle Police Department. They actually said that. According to an announcement regarding the work from Seattle Mayor Mayor Jenny Durkin, over the past week, conversations continued between city officials, organizers on site for CHOP, residents and businesses. So even she's going along with the name, with the acronym. The city is committed to maintaining space for the community to come together, protest and exercise their First Amendment rights. Minor changes in the protest zone will implement safer and sturdier barriers to protect individuals in the area, allow traffic to move throughout the Capitol Hill neighborhood, ease access for residents of apartment buildings in the surrounding area, and help local businesses manage delivery and logistics. So you were lying before when you said that these things weren't an issue or you're lying now. Which one is it? You said the businesses weren't having problems. You said that residents weren't having problems getting in and out. So were you lying then or are you lying now? Which one is it? Though occupiers in the shop have published their list of demands, it appears as now, now those demands are changing. Occupiers now appear to want to keep the area closed for demonstration purposes and convert the abandoned Seattle Police East Precinct to a community center. None of this was in their original list. Their original list was crazy, but this wasn't in it. These demands have been echoed by Marxist Seattle City Council member and police abolitionist Kashama Sawant. Now Mayor Durkin is seeming to give in to those demands. According to the mayor, every day, Seattle Fire Chief Harold Scoggins, Seattle Department of Transportation Director Sam Zimbabwe, and Seattle Public Utilities General Manager Mammy Hara have been on site. On Sunday, they held a meeting with on-site organizers, small businesses, and residents to discuss proposed changes to the protest zone. In coordination with protesters on site, work began at 6.30 a.m. on Tuesday to remove a tent barrier at 10th and Pine and replace it with sturdier concrete barrier to improve public safety. safety. 
That's not for officers. Officers don't even have concrete barriers going down. The city has successfully worked with protesters on site to reconfigure the chop to allow for public safety and better access for the local community. You just closed a bunch of the streets. How is that better access for anybody? That has involved rerouting traffic, freeing up alley access, opened streets, and replaced makeshift barriers with heavy concrete barriers that can be painted. The area adjacent to Cal Anderson Park on Pine between 10th and 11th will remain closed. The street is now home to Black Lives Matter street art. So if you paint enough on the ground, the city will let you keep the street. Doesn't matter how you got it. What a great precedent to set. I'm really glad these guys aren't in charge of negotiating the Middle East peace talks. They would give back all of Israel to the people who are trying to kill the Jews. This is not the first time the mayor has unilaterally closed streets of the city with no public comments or an open, transparent process. In May, the mayor and SDOT permanently closed over 20 miles of Seattle streets to vehicles to allow people home under stay-at-home orders from coronavirus to so that people would have more ways to get out safely and get out, walk, and bike. That's a direct quote. Before the stay-at-home orders, the mayor and SDOT were under fire from residents opposed to reductions in traffic lanes due to installation of bike lanes and street alterations, which caused increases in commute times and heavy traffic to enter residential areas because of drivers trying to avoid road diets. Residents called the moves a war on cars. I'm one of them. Let me explain what this means. A road diet is when they take something that's four lanes and reduce it one lane going in each direction and a middle turning lane or bike lanes on the side or something. So what happens is any normal person says, this is taking longer to get where I need to go because you just reduced the size of it. I'm going to go down these side streets and I'm going to look for other ways around. So what they do is they get off the main drag and they go into residential neighborhoods, making it more dangerous for the residential neighborhoods because they're going at high speeds because they're trying to get to work or whatever now because they can't go on the main roads. The mayor and Estat appear to be using the occupation to further a radical agenda and at the same time appease armed militant groups that have taken control of the neighborhood. The mayor's announcement discusses working with Black Lives Matter, Urban League, Choose 180, Not This Time, and Africatown protesters, but makes no mention of Antifa or the John Brown Gun Club who make up the armed wing of the occupation. The mayor's announcement claims that minor changes to the protest zone will implement safer and sturdier barriers to protect individuals in this area, allow traffic to move throughout the Capitol Hill neighborhood, ease access for residents of apartment buildings in the surrounding area, and help local businesses manage deliveries and logistics. Additionally, all plans have been crafted with the goal of allowing access for emergency personnel, including fire trucks. There's been a ton of fires in there recently. And first responders haven't been able to get in. The Post went on to say that the Seattle Police Department will dispatch to respond to significantly life safety issues in the area. The Seattle Police Department's definition of life safety issues may include an active shooter incident, an assault, a structure fire, significant medical emergency, heart attack, stroke, trauma, and other incidents that threaten a person's safety. So I thought this whole thing was about getting rid of the police department. And now you're saying you need them for these things? Pick a lane. No pun intended. Pick a lane. Make a decision. Ed, are you saying that these people are having access, trouble get access getting in there or not? Make up your mind. This whole thing is contradictory. Why do you think they're now allowing the police in? Huh. Because there's tons of videos online and social media depicting violence in the chop. And on Sunday night, there was an incident where an army of activists stormed an auto shop a block outside the shop, knocking down the gate and entering the property. The owners of the property have said that they have called 911 repeatedly and no one ever responded. Here's the video. Where's he at, bitch? Come on, 
Hey, we're reporting live. This is George McTerra. They're breaking into this uh, business. Document if anything happens to you guys' business, we want to have it on film to have you guys' back. Okay. Okay, cool. So you guys see I'm here in front of this business called Car Tender. I have no idea what's happened. There was a block party and then all these guys. I have no idea, so I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter, I have no idea. I have no I don't know. I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter. So I guess guys there's this business called Call Tender and for some reason these people just broke in here and Okay guys I can't show you right now but the uh, one of the gentlemen on the right of me just got his gun I'm assuming he's part of the family business here and you know, he's just trying to protect his business. These folks just came in here attacking him. And just to remind you guys, this is a no cop zone. So the police can't even come in here and help out these guys. Though CNN, the Seattle Times and other media outlets have tried to downplay the violence inside the shop and describe the area as a street fair or a block party during the day, every night brings new videos of violence and armed militants in the zone, including people giving out AR-15s. We just got told there's another group they're meeting with there and then they'll be moving in a few minutes, so be ready. Somebody over there is 18 ought to use a gun? Take, take the clip out and put it back in. Yo, no one's gonna like fucking ask me walking in here with an Nah, just, just come right back in. Hell nah, right? Uh, keep the barrel down. Hey, hey, keep the, yeah, keep that down. <laughs> hey, if they arrest me, you got my bond? Uh, got you. <laughs> uh, hey, I got you, just don't say any names. <laughs> Yeah, and 
Engine, engine block and tires. This is true. It might be misinformation. It might be lies. That's mm -hmm. why I pointed out earlier. So we're just, just being ready. We're not doing anything illegal. They want to know why the guns tonight. Just, just the energy that's out right now. And there's a possible threat to whatever. So we're just exercising my life. I was literally life. looking for you. I was literally looking for you. I had to take a piss. <laughs> Having a little bit of education as well. <laughs> Someone called you a proud boy. <laughs> Business owners and residents have said that they cannot operate in the shop and that they are afraid for their safety. One resident telling me today that they do not go outside after 8 p.m. unless they are armed. Seattle Police Carmen Best, uh, Carmen Best has stated that rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area and we're not able to get to them. Yeah. Okay. Everything's peaceful in the shop. Really, everything's completely peaceful. There's rapes, robberies, crime is up over 250%, I think the police chief added. But everything's safe and fine. People are walking around handing out AR-15s, no problem. Let's dive into this business problem a little bit more. Businesses are closing their doors in response to the ongoing occupation of Capitol Hill neighborhood in Seattle. On June 13th, Trader Joe's of Capitol Hill announced it would be closed indefinitely following incidents of last week. The store had been through coronavirus, even offering senior hours, a senior-only shopping hours. So they're closing. An employee told me that it's because they can't guarantee the safety of their employees. I know all these residents are up in arms saying it's because, oh, there was this Black Lives protest and all these employees went out and corporate got mad. One way or the other, what's going on in the area is affecting this business. Other businesses have had difficulty getting trucks and other vehicles through the barricades. Back to the Trader Joe's thing for a second. If you have a job and you say you want to go protest, there's always another protest you can always go. You can't give up your job. You can't give up school. You can't give up anything else. You are responsible for managing your time, managing your schedule. And sometimes you miss things. That's part of being an adult. So you want to get mad if they shut down the store because the whole staff went to a protest? <laughs> the store is right. Sorry. I'm sorry if you disagree with that, but the store is correct. You had a commitment to your job. You decide to go do something else, no matter what that something else is. People are too busy paying attention to the shop anyway to see what you guys were going to. Other businesses have had difficulty getting trucks and other vehicles through the barricades, are concerned with the ongoing unrest in the area, and have decided to close as well. A Chaz security guard who was interviewed said the streets were now open to the community. How can they be open to the community while you're standing there blocking them? It was in last week's podcast. While you have all these barricades up there. Some stores and restaurants have not reopened. Storefronts are now covered with tents and makeshift structures with people sleeping in doorways. Some store owners wishing to remain anonymous have said that despite the claims by activists operating Capitol Hill Occupation Protest, formerly the CHAZ, that businesses are doing well. Employees are afraid to come in. Owners are worried about ongoing unrest or damage. And customers have not been patroning the establishments. One look around the shop and there's barely a service without graffiti and homeless tents are everywhere. On Friday, there was even a person wielding machete, I've mentioned him before, running around after people at Cal Anderson Park, which is inside the zone. One business owner said they have set up their own free food giveaways, and some are even selling their own food on the street, so no one is coming in. The free food is also attracting the homeless. There appears to be an attempt by media outlets and occupiers themselves to whitewash the violence of the past week, including the militant Antifa groups like the John Brown Gun Club, which are patrolling the occupation. It's just... I don't understand. It's not just retail spaces. The zone is also has many apartments in the area. Some facilities have hired their own security guards for residents and property. 
On Saturday, the Daily Caller posted an interview with a Capitol Hill resident named Brandon who said, I've been scared every day since Sunday. I haven't gotten a lot of sleep for the first time in my life in Capitol Hill. I hear gunshots every night. I've heard people screaming every single night outside, and they're not protest screams. I've also heard screams of terror out there, and I don't know what's happening out there. I don't get it. Meanwhile, the police chief is rolling back these claims that business owners are having problems, that residents are having problems. Assistant Seattle Police Chief Deanna Nolet said at a press conference on Wednesday, we have heard anecdotally reports of citizens and businesses being asked to pay a fee to operate within the area. This is the crime of extortion. If anyone has been subjected to this, we need them to call 911. In the preceding days, local media were quoting SPD officials who were claiming businesses had been asked to pay a fee. And on Thursday, Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best appeared to walk back those comments. She also walked back her comments saying that the mayor was the one who ordered the closure of the precinct and the abandonment of the precinct. Make up your minds, guys. Is it happening? Is it not happening? I know it's happening because I've spoken to the business owners. I've spoken to police officers. Is it happening? Is it not happening? Why the change in the narrative to try and give cover to people who are breaking the law? I don't understand. It's becoming a lot like Occupy Wall Street. But the difference is New York wanted Occupy Wall Street to end. Here they're providing them sanitation, utilities, and other services like giant concrete blocks to help them secure the area. I don't think this is going away anytime soon because the city is enabling this. Mayor Durkin appears to have embraced the narrative of the militant occupiers. Preserving a space for demonstrators to come together is one of several actions the city has taken to respond to the community's call for change. Over the last two weeks, Mayor Durkin has prioritized meeting with community leaders and demonstrating organizers, heard their concerns, and has committed to an enduring systematic changes to reimagine what policing looks like in Seattle and to address systematic racism. Are we going to have Antifa be our new police officers? John Brown Gun Club, perhaps? Have them walk around giving out AR-15s to whoever they want? With the eyes of the world on the occupation of six blocks in Seattle and questioning how and when it'll end, it appears that the mayor and other elected officials are continuing to give in to the demands of the militants and that the occupation will become permanent rather than end. Other cities have been smarter than this. Other cities like Boston, I'm sorry, uh, Detroit, Portland. They've stopped these things dead in their tracks. But not Seattle. Nope, we're not smart enough for that. This is coming to your city. It's been attempted in your city. Make sure it doesn't happen. Don't say I didn't warn you. Coming up, we have an interview with a college professor who may scare you about sending your kids to college and what's going on. And an interview with a college student may give you encouragement to send your kid. I'm trying to give both perspectives there. Plus, I get a little personal and talk to you about some fun of cancel culture that came after me this week, all coming up in the next few segments of Canary in a Coal Mine after a brief word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I'm joined today by Michael Rechtenwald, who's a professor at NYU University, who I want to get your insight, Michael. You were kind enough to reach out and tell me that you had a lot to talk about with regards to everything that's happening in Seattle, everything that's happening across the country in terms of the divisiveness and what's going on. So I would love to give you a platform in order to do that. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm fantastic. So okay. what do you see? What have, what have the numbers told you about what's really behind this, what's really going on? Because when I analyze the numbers of what's happening, it seems like this is a narrative pushed out with no numbers to actually back it up. Uh, you mean about the protests and the Black Lives Matter and exactly. anti fraud Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, obviously we have, uh, I don't know what their numbers are, but it never takes a whole lot of numbers to, you know, make a massive radical change. And th that seems to be their agenda. I mean, Black Lives Matter has effectively suggested they're anti-capitalist. 
uh, and so of course is uh, Antifa and other groups uh, that are involved, like the Sunshine Group, I think they're called. Uh, there's, a, there's a number of organizations here that are behind this, that, have or, that are organized, they're very organized, even, even though they say they're anarchists and they're disorganized. I think they're very organized and I don't know if there's funding behind it. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about that. If there is funding behind it, we're really in trouble. Uh, I would say that if it's funded by major uh, players, then there's a definite agenda on the, on the line. I mean, one of the agendas I think is definitely to undermine the free enterprise system. I mean, they definitely want to get rid of that. But note how while small businesses, and I just heard today, and this is probably a combination of COVID, the COVID response, and also the protests, 25,000 or more businesses are gonna shut down and never come back. Um, so we're looking at a, a, an evisceration of small business. And I think that's a very bad sign because we're talking about a reduced middle class, a reduced entrepreneurial class, and basically leaving uh, semi or would-be monopolies and monopolies on top with everybody else, you know, scrambling for basic income. And this was before even the riots and the looting and anything else happened that would affect other businesses that managed to survive or were on right. their legs. Right. So, I mean, it seems to be very curious that we had this COVID response, which is going to wipe out a lot of businesses. And now we're having these riots, which are destroying businesses as well. So I don't know how many businesses they've destroyed, but I mean, it, it made it pretty clear that they don't care what these businesses are, who owns them, whether they're black owned, Latino owned, or what have you, they're wanting to, to destroy them and nobody's stopping it. Let me posit something to you as a professor. So Something that I've said is that one of the reasons we're seeing the rioting right now and we're seeing the looting and we're seeing them in such large numbers is because nobody's at work and nobody's at school. Do you right. think perhaps the easy solution is just to send everybody back to normal and perhaps you're going to have a drop in all of this? I mean, I think sending, uh, you know, it may be too late to send, uh, there, there, there's a new normal, I'm afraid. Uh, it, would, it would have been a good response to, to send things back to normal before this outbreak. Then we might not have had it because then you would have had people everywhere. And instead, we had evacuated cities that were effectively ceded to these protests slash rioters. And I really don't, you know, everybody wants to draw a distinction between peaceful protests and, and rioters and looters. But I think they're providing cover at this point, or they have provided cover uh, for, for the protesters. The protesters have provided cover for the rioters and looters. Okay. So now... You know, you study this kind of stuff. You're talking about it. You call yourself the anti-PC professor, which I just love. I find that very <laughs> It reminds me of, I don't know if you ever saw it. There was a movie called uh, PCU, Politically Correct University, that came out in the 90s. Have you seen that? Oh, film? really? I yeah. never saw that, no. It's great. I also saw recently the more real-life version of it was No Safe Spaces. With oh, yeah. Taylor. Right. I know about the movie, yeah. Yeah, that one. So what would you say is a path forward? What would you say is a way possibly out of it? Well, first I want to say why, you know, you brought up the universities and academia and the whole university system and education. You know, what we've seen here is a long march through the, uh, through the institutions, which is exactly what, that was the socialist formula. After, after uh, World War I and the failure of the Soviet Union uh, and the horrors that, that came out of it, 
and the, and the fact that Western Europe didn't follow suit and the United States didn't follow suit from Russia, the, the communists reorganized and reformulated their approach. And that approach became cultural. It was a cultural march through the institutions. Uh, Antonio Gramsci and was one of the chief architects of this idea and also the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. And others, like cultural studies, came out of Britain. Uh, there was a new philosophy, a new approach to a practical philosophy of having a long march through the institution. So we've seeded all that. It's already in their hands. That's why you could produce so many people with the same ideology like this that are anti-capitalist, anti-police, anti-state, anti-family, anti-identity, anti-nation. I mean, that's where this is all coming from. I, so, I remember a quote, I don't remember who it was by. Um, I don't remember if it was Marx or Lenin, but we will take America when we will take them through liberalism. That's me paraphrasing it. Are you familiar with that quote? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing it completely wrong and butchering it. Yes, and also Lenin said, the capitalists will sell us the rope with which we'll hang them. And, uh, and that's exactly what's happening. Tell me. It is. It has been my experience when I went to college, when I went to school, that the teachers that leaned more conservative were typically the ones who presented facts and right. gave you both options to consider. Right. Here's the facts. Right. It was typically my experience, with a few exceptions, I will say, that my liberal professors were usually the ones who said, here's the slant on it, here's the way I'm teaching it. Have you had that kind of experience? Do you find that experience on campus? Oh, absolutely. That's, uh, by the way, I retired from NYU because they basically made my life a living hell. Uh, I took a, a, a retirement package of sort of, you know, we made a, uh, a settlement because they made things impossible. They had moved my office to the Russian department. <laughs> the door, yeah. I'm guessing that's not something you're an expert in. Right. And uh, this is during the Russian collusion delusion. Uh, here I was shipped off to my own personal gulag. Uh, they basically <laughs> stuck me in a room with metal shelves. You know, it was like Siberia in academia, except I was right in, on the campus. But anyway, my experience is that, you know, I've always been, and I was a leftist, by the way. And I, but I always deplored the idea of teaching and uh, using the classroom as a stage for indoctrination. But that's basically what's going on across the board. And do you, think, do you think there's any way out of that? Because I'll tell you is that right now, I don't want to send my kids to college. I'd rather they go to vocational school or something else. I right. am afraid. I don't know why I'm paying all this money to undo all the years of education I did at home. Right, exactly. I mean, Trump's, you know, said some, something or passed some sort of uh, executive order about free speech for students. But this is meaningless when there's no free speech for the professoriate. Uh, professors are hired on the basis of their ideology or their identity and their identity politics or some other form of leftism they have to embrace. These departments, I, I worked on committees and I can tell you how they work. They winnow out anything resembling uh, conservative views are completely verboten. Uh, and white males are always last on the list if they can get hired at all. So if you get through as a white male, you have to be special or that you got in before the Iron Curtain came down uh, because it's just unbelievable 
the identity requirements, the ideological requirements to get into the professoriate is enormously high and it's all based on leftism. So it's an echo chamber, indeed. So what, do you, think, what do you think is the way out of it? Is, there, is this just a system that needs to be torn down and restarted or is there actually a way out of this? Yeah, I mean, it's so deeply entrenched that it would take years to take, over, take back these institutions, years decades maybe and i'm not being pessimistic i'm just being realistic uh, we're talking about deep roots all the way into the administrations very much so the administrators you know i, I had i had a dean that was an outright marxist uh, this is not uncommon and the administrators are in this as well they're in fact at the leading edge of it so it would take years of first of all you'd have to have some sort of changing and bylaws of private institutions, and some sort of uh, oversight of public ones, such that you had a true pl even playing field so that you had a true, uh, you know, struggle for existence of ideas, a, a true natural selection for the best ideas and the best scholars, instead of this uh, echo chamber tilted playing floor that completely favors leftists. So, it, it would take years to revitalize these institutions, to, to, to rebalance them, to, to reform them. So in the meanwhile, I'm saying online uh, alternatives, alternative education systems, and even autodidacticism. I mean, just study on your own. Uh, what I see happening in Seattle, <coughs> excuse me, in Washington State, a lot of people have now actually opted to choose private school, charter school, homeschooling over going back to Seattle public schools. Because they say, one, I didn't realize what was in this curriculum. Right. Two, they are now saying, well, you know, we could do a better job of this. I'm complaining about public schools all the time. Why am I going yeah. to do this to myself? Do you right. think we're going to get to that point with college as well? It's very possible. And this COVID crisis may have just exacerbated that for them. I think because you have students suing in five major Ivy League schools based on the fact that they're not getting the same education that they got, these institutions are not willing to refund any money, Harvard, uh, Cornell, and, so, and others. And so there's, there's mass action lawsuits going on that have been filed. Michael, can you hang on just one second? I apologize, yes. just one second. Okay. Sorry, this is the problem when I do these things from home. Continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I was talking about uh, what we were talking about homeschooling and the, the fact that uh, there's a lot of resistance to paying full freight to online education. So I think the institutions are going to be streamlined at best. Some of them are going to die, and I think they should. Small we liberal arts colleges, little boutique schools for finishing schools for upper middle class kids that are totally about wokeness, that absolutely, you know, indoctrinate in this soft sort of liberalistic left-leaning ideology. These places are going to fall. And I and, think they, you know, majoring in basket weaving or whatever it is, isn't really right. or, you know, getting, you know, postmodern dance right. <laughs> and other such frivolities that have no meaning. I mean, look, uh, no I, I, can speak for it. I majored in performing arts. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. You know, like, let's be real fair. I took my, 
I took what I was taught and I turned it into salesman skill. That's what I did. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so what did that really get me? I could have done without it and just had had a mentor. That would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. It gets some of these people, what it gets them is time. It buys them time to actually figure out who they are and what they want. But that time can be better spent. Definitely. Absolutely. All, they, had, they didn't even have my major that I wanted. I wanted to do more real estate type stuff. They didn't even have that at my college. Yeah. So in hindsight, it was a $100,000 waste for me. You know, luckily I didn't come Where was that at, that, may I ask? What, what college was that? What college? Uh, it's a Jewish college, and I don't want to speak badly of it. Because yeah, sure. Choose from, but they didn't have my major, and I went there because my friends were going. Yeah, right? sure. And I went there because I wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to keep the party going and things like that. And it wasn't yeah. the school's fault. I made right. a decision to go there. But right. then I came out of there and I'm kind of like, well, what do I do now? Exactly. And that was the problem. And unfortunately, a lot of people spend the time finding themselves and they find themselves in college and then they're like, great, I just spent three years to decide I want to do this. It's nothing like what I had in mind in the first part. And now I'm 100 right. grand in debt. Could have been homes reading it and, 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 you know, just home reading somewhere and just uh, figuring it out on your own without this enormous expense. So it's really not necessary to have this extended apprenticeship that leads to nothing, you know apprenticeships would actually lead to a journeyman position and maybe to a master position, but now they lead to nowhere. And so, I think we're going to run out of plumbers and electricians because everybody indeed. wants to go into whatever else it is. Indeed. These are the ways to make a living. I mean, one of the very big ways, and I know people that didn't go to college that are electricians that are making good money, you know, they're making great money. There's not enough of them right now. Right. That's exactly right. The demand is so high and the supply so low. So yeah, I think, there's going to be a, a fault. There's going to be a serious uh, collapse of a lot of small institutions. It'll leave the giants and the it'll leave the giant state schools, some of the giant private schools like NYU. But I, I think they're going to get hurt because they have an enormous uh, contingency of Chinese students. And I believe if Trump stays in office, that's going to be those students. They may not be allowed back. I mean, it's possible that those students won't be allowed back. So those those places that have made deals with China and those deals, those institutions that have greatly compromised themselves by doing so, like NYU, they're going to be, they could get hit hard too. I'll leave the states, the large state schools and the Ivies will survive. And the, even there, I can't imagine uh, the sticker price being like this relatively you know, to the uh, rest of the economy. Some serious sticker shock, especially when people are starting to pinch pennies coming out of this. When they oh, yes. I mean, there's going to be an erosion of the middle class. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no question. Yeah. So you, I know that you do some writing, and I know you do a few other things. If people want to read your stuff and see your kind of stuff, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just, um, it's fairly easy, although my name is long, as you've noted. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's Michael Rechtenwald, R-E-C-T-E-N-W-A-L-D.com. One, one word together, michaelrechtenwald.com. You'll see all my books there, essays, uh, my media coverage. Uh, I even have a page full of photos that include fans and friends and famous people reading and holding my book, my books and uh, things like that. So there's a lot there. Well, I'm uh, glad you reached out because now this gives me an excuse to go pick up your books because I haven't read them yet. And right. it is on my list. And actually, I do book reviews from time to time now, especially because there's no movie coming out. I've been replacing sure. book reviews with book reviews. So yeah. I will buy them. I'm not asking you to send them to me for free. I will pay the money because you work okay. hard and you deserve it. 
Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about with regards to what you've seen on campus with regard to race relations? Anything else of that nature? That uh, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, what I think is uh, these anti-racist campaigns have been this, the, the, the real instigator of all this racial tension. This is known, this is actually proven. Anti-racist and bias training actually exacerbate racial tensions and worsen the workplace for those people in question. And in fact, it's been shown that bias training on the, in the workplace leads to less women and less blacks and other minorities getting hired. You know, you reminded me of, you ever watch The Office? One of my yes. favorite episodes is Diversity Day, where yeah. they have to put those things on their head and they're all saying these racist things. And it is so true that when you start going through these things, it yeah. makes things uncomfortable. And if you just say, you're a person, I'm a person, let's have exactly. a conversation, you're way better off. I mean, if, if, in, if people would just, I mean, if they'd stop this group classification nonsense and identity politics, and just treat people as individuals, I think would be a world, a world better. I mean, we'd be way better off. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the case there. Well, you have it there. Michael Reftenwald, thank you so much. Professor Ref Michael Reftenwald, thank you so much for being with us. I'll give you the open invitation that anytime you think that there's something going on in current events or yeah. relatable in your experience that you want to talk about, that you want to comment on, just let me know, and I'm happy to have you back anytime you want. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate that, because sometimes I get to the point where I'm ready to bite my tongue off. I'm so ready to talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the reason I started this platform is because I felt the exact same way. So yeah. really, open invitation. If you see something going on in current events in the world, please reach out to me. I'm happy to have you back. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks so much for being with us. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. I am joined today by Dion. Dion, you may recognize him, you may not recognize him, but he is a young conservative activist in the Seattle, greater Seattle, Washington area. He has a lot to share with us about his recent visit to Chaz, the fun little Chazistan area. I was there too, but what I'm most curious about is to see how our experiences line up. Dion, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, Ari, thank you so much for inviting me on your show. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I really love your uh, podcast, so I appreciate it. Thanks. I like talking to you because it's refreshing to know that I can send my kid to college and he'll come out normal on the other side. That doesn't seem to be the case so much these days. <laughs> so a little bit of hope I get there. Um, so why don't you tell me about your visit down there? Actually, you know what? Let's, let's back up a little bit. Tell everybody who you are, what you do, and why you do what you do. Why well, do what I do? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, you know, for those of you that don't know me, I'm a local conservative activist here in Seattle. I am uh, the well-known black conservative Dion Thompson. I don't like to call myself a black conservative, but a lot of people like to uh, label me as such. Um, I've been doing activism here for about a year and a half, and um, it's been an eye-opening experience, that's for, for sure. Um, you know, the, the re you know, I've been doing it for a while, but the reason why I've been doing it is because I, I can't not fight back against the democratic establishment at this point, because, you know, after what I've seen, after I, I came out, if you can even believe that statement coming out as a uh, conservative, um, you know, especially a Trump supporting conservative, um, it's night and day from, from being a Democrat. So, you know, I, I don't have any disrespect towards Democrats, but I, I have great disrespect for the establishment Democratic Party. Um, and I fight back so hard to uh, get civil discourse back. And, you know, that's, that's mainly why I do it. 
and to expose what what both sides have done. I mean, I'm a Republic, conservative Republican by values for sure, but uh, you know, I mainly call out the left, but I do call out the right every now and then, which isn't very often considerably, you know, which is convenient. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's like, you take me for a minute. When I was in college, uh, the girl I was dating at the time said, all Jews are Democrats. So I registered as a Democrat and I voted for Al Gore. I mean, Geraldine Ferraro, you may not know who she was. She was the first woman who ran for vice president. She was on the Democrat ticket. She was at my bar mitzvah. That's kind of like our family history. Yeah, my parents worked on Reagan's campaign too. That's a whole nother story, but we kind of had this mishmash of people. I actually did not vote for Trump the first time because I was just figuring it was a reality show. You know, I'm like, this, this just can't be real. There's no way. I figured there was going to be a show that came out afterwards called Trumping America. In my personal opinion, and I know some of you on this podcast are going to tear me over the coals for this, I think that Trump is one of the greatest presidents for Jews, at least in my lifetime, if not possibly ever. That's just my thing. So a lot of people come after me like, how can you be Jewish and be more conservative-leaning? How can you be Jewish and be more Republican-leaning? How can you be a college kid and come out as a conservative? How did you, how did you decide to just do that? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, when I was in college, um, actually throughout my entire life, I was, you know, pretty much, you know, a liberal and I didn't really know. I had conservative familial values and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I blindly supported Obama. I blindly supported the establishment Democrats. I blindly supported things that they suddenly switched on uh, conveniently when they ran again um, about gay marriage, stuff like that. And um, I finally came to the realization when I ran for student body president of the University of Washington Bothell campus, I, I ran technically as a Republican candidate, but then the year afterwards- Wait a minute, wait, I've got, I gotta stop you there. Hang on a second. Student body makes you register a political party when you run these days? No, 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 no. So <laughs> I, I decided to do that on my own. Oh, okay. Um, I was just trying to understand that there. All right. Yeah, now, if they did, that'd be insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't think college has gone that far off the rails. But yeah. I mean, I know it's been a while since I've been there, but I'm just double checking. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I barely lost. I think I lost by less than uh, 75 votes, which is, you know, considerably close for a college of 5,000 people with only 1,000 votes totally casted. Um, but the next year I came out as a Trump supporter and then that's when everything changed. That's, and I, I was barely a Trump supporter because I liked the way how he talked. I liked how he said, I'm going to bomb the hell out of ISIS. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, politicians don't usually, you know, they're not usually politically incorrect. And that's what I really liked about the dude. And this is about his second, his second year in his office at this point. And I started noticing his accomplishments. And then I, I really became a, a Republican when I, I just had this massive realization, it's like, oh my gosh, like everything I just, you know, believed in the Democrat party was wrong. Because the second time I ran for student body president, my white guy vice president candidate was literally being screamed at and yelled at by all people of color, not, not, not other, no other white people were yelling at him because he was white. And it was absolutely disgusting. And that's, you know, kind of when I, realized it then of course the walkaway movement happened pretty much two months after that and um that's when i started really becoming more republican since then um almost every single one of my liberal views have um have just gone down the dumpster at this point in terms of you know 
what I used to believe in. You know, I, I used to say that, oh, well, pro-choice, right? I used to say that, but now I'm more pro-life than probably most people because of what I've seen, you know, and stuff like that. Gotcha. So it's interesting because here, now I can go piss off the other side of the aisle. It's like, I don't consider myself a true Republican because I'd say, if anything, I'm more fiscal conservative and socially more libertarian, more liberal, which I think is more of a thing these days that most people who consider themselves Republicans are. I find that when you go with the two-party system and you say, oh, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, then all of a sudden you're kind of tied to whatever they do, hook, line, and sinker, whereas if you say it's something else, you have more, more variety to go do what you want rather than saying, I am lockstep in line with this party or that party. Do you find that to be your experience as well? Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, uh, there, I do have some liberal values, not very many, but like you, I'm a very, very finance or fiscally conservative, uh, type of a person. Um, you know, I, I think like there, like I'm also very kind of libertarian in a lot of, you know, social issues, like, you know, do what you do on your own. Just don't bother me with it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things I'm also conservative about. But because I say I'm, you know, pretty conservative, people just automatically loop me into, you know, oh, well, you're conservative on everything. But that's not necessarily true. You know, um, I mean, there, there's some issues that I say, oh, well, that makes sense on a liberal sense. But, you know, I, I'm not sure how I stand on that, you know. I'm, I got to tell you, I'm just pretty impressed that as, you know, somebody as young as you are, and now I'm making myself sound old just by saying that, that you're so secure in your ideology. I mean, it took me years to get where I was going to be because I never cared about politics when I was your age. It just wasn't on the radar. I was thinking about girls. I was thinking about alcohol. I was thinking if my car is going to run. Politics was the last thing on my mind, you know? So, I mean, kudos to you. More power to you, man. So, well, I mean, it's yeah. not that those things weren't on my mind as well. It's just that, like, um, I, I started to really kind of pull my head out of my butt at an earlier age than most people that I've met. Like, I have a ton of liberal friends that, um, you know, just completely just went off the deep end and said, oh, well, you're a traitor, you know, and didn't really think about it. And then now some of those same people are saying, actually, you were kind of right. Like, I guess I wish I would have thought about that a little bit more. It's like, yeah, told you. <laughs> You know, that gets more frustrating as you get older, because like after the election, I'll never forget this. Somebody goes, you know, if I had realized all this beforehand, I would have voted for you. I'm like, well, thanks a lot. That's really, really helpful. Or my favorite was another friend of mine who's like, it's like a week after the election. And he comes up to me. He's like, here's my ballots. I go, wait a minute. <laughs> One, you can't give them to me. Two, the election was last week. Did you think about maybe mailing those things in on time? Whatever. Yeah, that doesn't change. I will tell you though, is that I have a friend. He is as hardcore liberal as you could possibly be. And he is a Yankee fan and I'm a Mets fan. And the two of us go to baseball games together and we rag on each other. And it's one of my closest friends because unfortunately the stuff has gotten too personal rather than political. You can have differences of opinions with people. And unfortunately people have made it their religion. I say a lot of times people replace their Judaism with whatever other ism they have. So whether that's communism, socialism, capitalism even, whatever it is, they replace it with that. And then they get all, it's like they're defending their religion almost. Right. Yeah. So tell me, what made you want to go down to our brand new country, smack dab in the middle of Syria? <laughs> well, first of all, it's not a new country. It's it's our country, and we're gonna take it the hell back. Uh, and we're gonna take it back so hard that it'll make their damn head spin. I can tell you that much. Well, let me, um, let me be on their side for a second, okay? Just for one second. Okay, fine. I'll be on their side. 
why do we want it back if we get Kashama back with it? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. So we can kick her the heck out of office for once. Yeah, um, well, they've had three chances and they haven't done it yet. Yeah, well, I, I think that um, this might not be the time, but, um, you know, I think, I mean, look, even the, the Chazistans down there, they're saying they want Mayor Durkin out, which is, you know, kind of insane. When a leftist wanting another leftist city councilwoman out of, or not, not, not city council, mayor out of office, like, you yeah, know. So here's I, the thing on that. What Durkin isn't, or Mayor Durkin isn't realizing is that people on the right put her into office. I did not. I did not vote for her. I saw that thing and I just threw it in the garbage because there was nobody even worth voting for on that one. But it was her versus Carrie Moon. And Carrie Moon's like a Kashama Sawant type. And yeah. what happened was people said, well, I got to vote for this person because at least they're not that person. The people in Chaz are never going to vote for Mayor Durkin in a million years in a re-election campaign. They're going to go vote for whoever the new Carrie Moon is. So right. why is she trying to appease this group? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's just another re-election type of thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's what... To, it's what Politicians do all the time, Republican or Democrat. You know, they they they're quiet for their whole term, and then conveniently, right during campaign season, right after the due date, they start mass advertising. Look what I've done, which, which you know isn't uh, what they've done. You know, they either take credit or they just haven't haven't done it at all. Um, but to go back to your question of why I went down there, um, you know, I <laughs> so the Saturday that that first Saturday. I was actually in Spokane and I wanted to go so bad, but you know, they, they put out, you know, the, the whole, I got a text message on my phone saying, Oh, there's a, uh, um, what's the word for it? The, um, curfew at 5 PM. And I'm like, well, shoot, it's six. And now I'm getting this text message. So thanks a lot technology. But, um, <laughs> so I almost went down there, but I went down there Sunday, uh, the next day at like 11 or noon. And I, I was live streaming the BLM protesters. They were fine. They were fine. Um, in fact, I actually got on live stream, and my fans can verify this, um, where BLM, like kind of the unelected leaders, um, said that they want to be peaceful. And I said, well, we, Antifa and you guys, and I said this to them, Antifa and BLM was breaking windows and causing problems last night, when, when that day when I said that. And, and they're like, no, 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 no. Antifa went mixed in our crowds and started causing the problems, therefore also placing the blame on us in the media. I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? And I actually witnessed that firsthand later that day. The, I saw a lot of Black Walk uh, merge in their crowd. And, this, and of course, Black Walk is, is going to tell me that I'm spinning the narrative? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I saw this with my own eyes. You know, that's when the police started using tear gas bombs. That's when they started using rubber bullets. A tear gas bomb went off right next to me. Um, my phone got stolen by an Antifa member, got thrown into the construction zone. They, BLM didn't do that. Like, a lot of BLM, like, were giving me middle fingers and such because they know who I am and they know I'm against their organization. But, you know, I didn't have a problem with them because that's their right that, to say that kind of stuff, right? BLM just straight up just attacked and attacked and attacked. I, you, you have no idea. I went down there and there were so many businesses that were just burned to the ground. It was unbelievable. It was literally like a scene out of I Am Legend. Like, you know, 
all these different businesses, just, you know, broken windows and, and, and toppled over aisles and everything like that. Walgreens on, I think it's on um, Pike and Fourth, I think. Um, totally broken into stuff lying around everywhere. And I go to that Walgreens every now and then when I'm down there. I'm like, that's the same Walgreens? Are you kidding me? Um, so then a couple of days passed. And I went down there again, and this is when Chaz is officially a thing. You know, they took over the police precinct, and I'm like, I got to go film this. So I went down there, and it was like a scene out of a post-apocalyptic movie. You know, bonfires everywhere. People, like, rubbing hands over the fire. You know, um, groups of people with AR-15s, which, again, I have no problems with people open-carrying rifles. But when you have people open-carrying rifles that support domestic terrorists, that's what bothers me. Or rather, phrase it this way a little bit, just to help you out with your messaging, because I know you're good at this. Put it this way. Say, people with AR-15s not allowing other citizens down the streets of America. That's Mm -hmm. it. Because as soon as you say domestic terrorism, I say it all the time. All right? I do. (laughs) As soon as you say that, people go, like, that switch just turns off. But if you say these people with the AR-15s, they're allowed to carry them all they want. But the second they say, I can't go down this street as a U.S. citizen, even as anybody in this country, I can't go down this street, now we have a problem. Sorry for interrupting. Continue. No, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And that actually, you know, kind of cleared things up in my head with, 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 uh, the way I was saying it anyways. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Um, but, you know, I'm going to, and keep in mind, you know, a year ago, 500 flyers of my face, this face was plastered all over that area, literally that area, 500 flyers. And the number one person on that list was people literally saying that I'm, I'm a black Read, listen to this carefully, a black, white supremacist on those flyers, 500 of them. And so I have a literal bounty on my head and I'm going in there by myself with no security. Okay. You know, I have my own personal protection, you know, which I'm not going to confirm that. I mean, you could probably guess what that is. <laughs> the same one I got. Yeah. Well, I mean, it may not be the same, but it's similar. I understand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's our cell phone cameras. Yes. Yeah. That's what we take with us into the zone. Yeah, cell phone, cell yeah, phone cameras. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was just insane. And um, but BLM was completely peaceful. The only people that I was nervous around was the people that I know are Black Block Antifa members or John Brown Gun Club who support those people. Um, and of course, the next day there was about 200 tweets of them saying, "Oh my gosh, Dion infiltrated the the Chaz." And I go down there every day just to film, and you know, just um, uh, two nights ago, or was it two nights ago? Whenever it was, um, you know, I got surrounded completely. Um, like some, I was hosting an MLK event for Trump on January 20th and there was a bunch of white and I, I literally highlighted in the, in the event flyer against racism and bigotry and there was a bunch of people calling me Nazi on, on that event saying that MLK was a socialist which makes no sense yeah I know believe me and then what happened was those same guys that were calling me Nazi called me a Nazi just the other night completely surrounded me and who come he came and saved me BLM Really? Yeah. Wait a second. I got a question. Was our favorite leader, former leader of a local Democrat party, one of the people this time, or was he not around this time? Because he was there last time, wasn't he? Um, Favorite people being who? So there was a gentleman whose initials are CC. We don't have to mention him, but when you had your MLK event, he was in the crowd as a member of Antifa, with Antifa, screaming Uh and yelling at you. 
And yeah. have you spotted that person who is no longer in the ranks of the Democrats? He's no longer in the Democrat, Young Democrats anymore? Well, I know he is no longer in the 37th. He went from being vice president to being nothing. So really? I noticed that was interesting. And I wonder if it had anything to do with that video, because that was bad. That was really, really bad when you got a white guy yelling racial slurs at a whole bunch of freaking Americans on MLK yeah. Day. Um, I didn't notice him in the leadership for the Young Democrats either. Interesting. I've never heard about that until just now. Yeah. 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 I don't like that guy. Um, yeah. He's hilarious. I think he's hilarious, you know, because he just <laughs> shot himself in the foot. Um, but no, I did not see that guy there. I saw, I saw some Antifa members that I have uh, recognized, like the, the big fat white dude that, um, you know, was calling me Nazi with the megaphone, which was hilarious, by the way. Um, and because was, of him- when they called the Jewish guy the fascist Nazi white supremacist. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I totally get it. Well, my favorite was when they called me an anti-Semite. That was oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, see, and that's what kind of bothers me. It's like, you know, how can you call a black guy a black white supremacist or or a jewish person an anti-semite nazi what like it doesn't make any sense so you're down in this thing and you decide to go down there now i assume you weren't masked because they recognized you so were you going for the reaction or you just you know went and wanted to see what would happen what was your thinking behind that so was i going for the reaction yes and no so the first time i went down there i went in kind of the skies to see like how things would go I, I don't wear, you know, the stupid mask for coronavirus. You know, I just, you know, I think that's a total joke. Um, but uh, I went there with my hood up. Nobody recognized me, but then they recognized me the next day. Then I decided to go in a completely different, you know, I usually wear this sweatshirt. Um, I went in a completely different sweatshirt, masked up everything. And then they noticed me faster than they did the other night before that. Um, and then I went just the other day when I got surrounded as the, as the story I just told you. And then, then they just recognized me like almost instantaneously. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of went for the reaction, but uh, I just went mainly to see what it's all about. This, because I, I told them very specifically, if there's violence, I'm covering that. If there's peacefulness, I will cover that. Make your choice. Mm, that's good. See, the, when I went down there the first time, I went completely incognito because I figured since people didn't know who to play, well, you know, I mean, they love me too. Um, I figured that if I went completely incognito, I can get certain interviews I wouldn't get otherwise, which is how I got the interview with the warlord. He didn't realize he was talking to me. And my favorite was watching everybody online afterwards yelling and screaming at him, how dare you talk to Ari Hoffman? He had no clue. I was wearing the whole gear. And I'm like you, I don't wear the mask often. You know, I was wearing it more to keep out the smell of poop and uh, pot that seems to be circulating in that whole neighborhood. I was kind of thankful I had it. All right. So what has been the worst thing you've seen while you've been down there? Where can people view your videos if they want to see how you can cover this? Yeah. So I think there's a live stream going on right now on my channel. Um, so you can check it out at the Coward Conservatives, C-O-L-O-R-E-D, Conservatives. Um, and, you know, we post videos. We've been posting more videos like crazy this last couple of weeks. Um, specifically on the chats, and we've been doing a lot of views on it, uh, despite, you know, the YouTube censorship. So thanks, YouTube. Um, but yeah, no, so the worst thing that I've seen, gosh, you know, um, I think the worst thing that I saw was when I went down there uh, the Saturday after I got back from uh, Spokane, and I, you know, I, there was just pushing the police line back. And that was just like, why are you guys doing that? Like, because... 
you know, if this is against police brutality and you're pushing the police line back and they have tear gas bombs and they have, you know, rubber bullets, batons and everything else, what the heck do you think is going to happen? Like the police aren't going to be stepped on until they, of course, got up and left the precinct. You know, big mistake, yeah. big mistake. They should have held their ground. Um, but, you know, I was like, well, where, what, what else do you expect? Seriously, what do you expect is going to happen? Like they're going to throw flowers at you? No, it's a, it's a ridiculous notion. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just floored when I went there and saw the building all abandoned and boarded mm -hmm. up, all completely spray painted, and everything that they had done to the building. I'm like, this is this is like a third world country. That's yep. what it looked like to me. It didn't look like America. I'm like, what am I looking at here? And now you see what you get with socialism. Once we saw their list of demands, this right. is what they want the whole place to look like. What they think it's going to start looking like malls when you get all the businesses to be afraid of staying in town. Did you see what happened last night with the auto uh, with the auto repair place? That video that came no. out. Okay, no. I just put it up on my channel. I'll actually put it as part of this podcast when I hear it. Um, there is a massive crowd of people that went to this auto repair place and just took down the fence and went in and just went in. And that video is circulating today. I don't know why I didn't circulate last night, but it's circulating today. I'll make sure you get a copy of it. It's nuts. And I love that today was the day that everybody was really pushing back. Like I kept getting more comments than ever on my page. Where's the violence? Where's the violence? I'm like, literally, I've shown you a ton of it. But this video shut them up. I don't know why it was this and not all the other stuff. Huh. Interesting. Wow. I can't wait to check that out. Yeah. So what's your next project? You got to keep going back to Chaz? You got something else in mind? We got elections coming up, you know. Yeah, you know, in fact, actually, um, really great news. So, um, yes, I'm going to be continuing to go down to Chaz and covering that regardless if it's peaceful or not. Um, they've threatened to remove me, um, and I don't know what that means, so we're going to find that out here pretty soon in the next couple of days. So I'm, I'm going to continue covering Chaz, but um, another initiative that I'm working on, actually, is I am now the chair of the Young Republicans Committee for the Snohomish County Republican Party. And I have a lot, I'm not going to tell you, go into real great detail, but I'm, I, I have a lot of things planned with that. Um, we're going to be going to high schools, colleges, and universities so that way we can help get young people to become registered Republican voters. Um, or just voters in general, really. But like, obviously, you know, Republican would be kind of helpful, right? Um, but uh, I've told everybody, 40% of people vote Democrat because of the D. 40% of people vote Republican because of the R. 20% of people uh, vote, well, 20% of those, half of that vote because of values. And then the other half, so 10% vote or, or would say that they would have voted, right? Um, and the, or, or people that say, oh, the, their vote doesn't count. Um, those 10% sway whichever direction means elections right there easily like Dino Dino Rossi lost by like what less than 100 votes yeah I think it was they found 300 in the trunk of somebody's car I mean that was the first time when he ran for governor that's what happened it was uh what was it was a Gregoire at that point I don't remember who he ran against but yeah these votes disappeared and then all he won and then all of a sudden he didn't win that's what happened right yeah convenient isn't it yeah um yeah but no like, I think my dad, grandfather voted in that election yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, but that 10% of people does make the difference. Um, you know, because that 10% of people is a lot, like, whether it's a hundred, I mean, there's a lot of Republican, um, uh, losers out there. I'm just going to say it right now. They're losers that could have been in office with those 10% of people. 
there's so, a lot of them that I just can't put my stamp on. You know, when I go down the thing, and sometimes I'm writing in other people because I just want somebody who's real. I'm tired of the fake. I'm so tired of it. And I'm getting disappointed in them too. I actually want to know I'm, I'm a little miffed with Trump. He can't just tweet his way through the crisis right now. Right. And I want to see more from him right now. And a lot of people are saying they want to see more from him right now. And they don't really feel like they're getting it. You know, he has to be more public. It should have been the Oval Office. That church thing was great. I actually thought that was phenomenal. But I was looking for that a night or two earlier. That was the kind of stuff we're looking for. And, I mean, people want to be the social media presence, but they realize at some point you actually got to show up. Right. Right. I completely agree. 100%. Yeah. Well, Dion, thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate your candor. And I'm going to tell you something. You ever want to come back on the show, you ever got a project you're working on that you want to promote, all you got to do is drop me a line, drop me an email. I'm happy to have you back. Even if you just want to comment on something like, Ari, this is so freaking crazy. I got to come on your show and I want to talk about it. All you got to do is say so. Dion, give me that website one more time or your, your channel so that way everybody can check out your videos and such. Yeah, guys. Th uh, Ari, thank you so much for having me on here. And you guys can check me out, The Colored Conservatives on YouTube. Um, it's we're grown fast guys and it's a lot's happening. So check us out there. And again, Ari, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. Anytime you want me out to speak to the Snohomish crew, you let me know. I'm happy to come out. Totally. Awesome. Okay. Take care, buddy. You too. Welcome back to Canary in a Coal Mine. Remember, if you are liking the podcast to subscribe, rate, share, send it to your friends, tell them all about it. Those of you who hate the podcast, thank you so much for sharing it, critiquing it, all your very helpful, very intelligent comments that you've been sharing with me online because you guys helped me get thousands of followers overnight. I'm really appreciative of it because it just helps out my pay-per-click rate. So thank you so much for that, for keeping me going. Your cancel culture move hasn't really worked that well, but keep up the great work. Anyway, speaking of cancel culture, I read a book this week called Extreme Ownership. It's written by a bunch of Navy SEALs, and I finished it up this week. It talks about how the buck stops here, how you're in charge, and it applies those concepts to business. So for me, let's take a little ownership of a situation, shall we? Last week, I was accused of lying by the Seattle Times. Yep, Seattle Times accused me of making up a story that business owners were being shaken down inside the Capitol Hill protest zone and that my tweet and my article were picked up by the national media and spun out into the universe and that I have a direct line to President Donald J. Trump and that caused him to say what he said and this is all 100% on me. And then Carmen Best, the Seattle police chief, walked back the comments that Seattle Police Department said those things were happening. Okay, let's go through what actually happened for a moment here, shall we? I'm driving around Seattle, minding my own business, going to check out another story when I hear on the radio that this might be happening, that this is happening. I hear multiple outlets saying it. I'd been hearing it for 24 hours or so already that this was happening. So when I was investigating another story, I spoke to some police officers and they told me, yes, it was happening. I then spoke to some business owners who said, yes, it was happening. So I ran with the story. Story goes to print. People go ballistic and say, well, the police chief just said this isn't happening, even though the assistant police chief said it was happening, even though they've been saying for days it was happening, now they're saying it's not happening. Those of you who are movie fans may have seen the movie Godfather 2. In Godfather 2, the mafia is brought before Congress, 
And the star witness for Congress is one of the mafia family members. And they bring his brother into court. The mafia brings his brother into court to sit there watching him testify. The brother doesn't speak English and puts him right next to Michael Corleone, the godfather. And all of a sudden, the guy changes his story and says, no, 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 Michael Corleone isn't the godfather. None of this is happening. They were, they were selling, you know, oil, olive oil together. So if your business was being threatened and shaken down, are you going to keep going with that story when, you know, people are accusing you of doing it, when there's armed militants walking around? You going to keep up that story? Here's something else. The Seattle Times took a guy named Marcus S., who put out a post and said that his business was being shaken down for $500. They said he got this from me. There's only one problem. Marcus S. posted an entire day before I said anything. Marcus S. posted 36 hours before my article came out for the post-millennial. If Marcus S. got it from me, he must have a DeLorean equipped with time travel devices because obviously that didn't work out. So still saying this is all me is amazing. Other reporters were saying it, walked back their comments. And yet, meanwhile, today, the mayor's out there saying, oh, we're doing all this stuff to secure businesses, to help out businesses because they're having problems. I thought they weren't having problems. I thought everything was safe in there. I thought we didn't need a police presence in there. Make up your minds, guys, because you look like idiots. Here's how the Seattle Times describes the occupied zone in Chaz. Welcome to the Chaz, the newly named Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, where most everything was free Tuesday. Free snacks from the No Cop Co-op. Free gas masks from some guy's sedan. Free speech at the speaker circle. There anyone could say their piece. A free documentary movie, Ava Duvarney 13th, showing after dark. A free Capitol Hill, according to no shortage of spray paint on building facades. And perhaps most important to the demonstrators, the neighborhood core was free of uniformed police. A new protest society centered on a handful of blocks in Seattle's quirky, lefty Capitol Hill has been born from the demonstrations that pushed the Seattle Police Department out of its East Precinct building. What a lovely place. This is accompanied by a picture of children painting with chalk on the ground, drawing with chalk on the ground. What a lovely place. Spend an afternoon there. Yeah, it's a massive homeless encampment with armed guards, with armed militants walking around. Who will beat you up if they don't like what's going on? Who will harass you if they don't like what's going on? Google it. Look on the internet. Don't believe me? Check it out. Here's something else. If I had made up the story, I've recently begun writing for the post-millennial. They barely know me. They're getting to know me better. But don't you think that if I had made up any of this and couldn't verify my sources, they would have fired me like that. And I want to blame them. Because if I wasn't telling the truth and I made this whole thing up, there's no journalistic integrity there. Get rid of the guy. He's not worth it. He compromises your integrity. No. But the Seattle Times revised the story a couple times. Still not accurate, but they revised it a couple times. It's a little update. Meanwhile, it's being spread into the etherwebs about how I made all this up and it's all my fault. Yeah, guys, it's happening. Whether or not you want to acknowledge it, everybody's trying to whitewash what's happening inside the Chaz because they're trying to push a political agenda. Take ownership. Take extreme ownership. Because you know what you could have done? You could have said, yeah, the way we got this probably wasn't the best way. But look what we've done. We've kicked out the warlord. We've gotten rid of these people. We now have a free autonomous society. We're patrolling ourselves. We're policing ourselves. And everything is pleasant inside. But you can't say that because you haven't done any of that. If you want to whitewash history of what's actually going on, why don't we take a lesson from Chief Sealth, who Seattle is named after. This guy, Google it, Wikipedia it, owned slaves and would actually take slaves from the tribes that the Seattle tribe, whatever they were called, conquered. So are we going to rename Seattle tomorrow? Or is this part of our history? Are we going to discuss it? Or is this part of our history? Check it out. Be consistent. 
If you want to get rid of all these monuments, be consistent. Talk about your own history and say, we don't like this in our history, so we are working to change it. That's what America is all about. We have things in our history we're not proud of. Let's try and fix it. Take ownership. Take extreme ownership. Otherwise, it's going to come back to bite you in the butt. Don't say I didn't warn you. We'll see you next time on Canary in a Coal Mine. Until then, wave to people, say hi to people, and don't go visit the Chaz. It's not a tourist attraction. It smells bad. It smells like poop and weed. Anyway, if you want to go hang out down there just because of morbid curiosity, you will be sorely disappointed. Be my guest. Go check it out, but then go at night. See what the fun's really like, but make sure you take some armed guards with you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll see you next time.